Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Poker. This is Sasha Stone of Awards Daily. And this is Jeffrey Wells uh, of Hollywood Elsewhere, speaking from Wilson, Connecticut, only 50 miles away from Manhattan and a uh, 90 minute, I mean, a a hundred, what am I doing? 70 minute uh, train ride. So very, very easy to get into the city. But, you know, it's funny. um, I used to go to the city all the time. I don't know what it is. Maybe end of the year doldrums or something. I just Mm -hmm. don't. There's nothing going on. In the city, really. Hmm. Do you, when when's the last time you've gone to a screening or to an event or you know something that you were excited about or at least let's put it this way: when was the last time you were invited to an event, uh, you know that you wanted to go to that you were up, up for? Well, I just got invited to the Dune sequel screening, so I'll I'll probably oh, cool. go to okay. that. That's happening. I think in a few days. I have to. I haven't RSVP'd yet, but okay. No, so so when is the Dune thing, and and did you really seriously like the first Dune? I did not like the first Dune, and I I'm, I nor did I, frankly. The only thing that's good about a screening of Dune is that it's on the big screen and it's a spectacle. That's the only upside. I thought the first one was, um, for me personally, and I know a lot of people liked it. Obviously, it got a lot of Oscar nominations. It did really well at the box office. I think there's a certain kind of person now, like my daughter's one of these people, where they, uh-huh. they their expectations are so low because they've been raised on video games, they've been raised in fantasy, they've been raised on those superhero movies. That's all they know. These mm-hmm. these they were you know movies to them are IPs. Movies to them are like you know the trilogies, the the things that go on the Marvel movies, and I think they just don't expect there to be a story or a plot. And they're okay if there isn't one. Whereas we were raised at a time when you had to have a good script. You had to have a good story. And every so often someone would deviate from that, like David Lynch. Mm-hmm. And you would understand that you were you were in a realm of someone who isn't Godard, you know, who isn't adhering to story tradition, you know. But you understood that that's what the kind of movie that, that you were seeing. But I think that people like, for instance, I think this is one of the reasons... I think this is one of the reasons why Oppenheimer has done so well. Because? Is that I think these young women, like I took my two, my nieces to see it. I took them to see Barbenheimer, both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. And they loved, they liked Barbie a lot, but when they after they saw Oppenheimer, they were blown away. They were like, I loved it. And I'm not even 100% sure they understood it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, because it's a hard movie to understand. Um, it's a very hard movie to stay with, especially yeah. if you're not getting all the dialogue, which I wasn't during my two. The only time I really got it was when it finally was on Amazon. I was able to read the subtitles. Then I got to really, really understand everything. But, but even but then, it wasn't even, even once you can read everything and you can understand everything, I'm telling you, as someone who read American Prometheus, that Nolan's screenplay... Mm-hmm. As loving as it is, because he obviously loves Oppenheimer, um, it's very dense and packed with things nobody would know. Nobody okay. would know unless they read the book, and and even then it would be hard to get. So, but it didn't matter. People loved it anyway, just like Dune, right? Because I think that that they're with Oppenheimer, it's slightly different. It's not just spectacle. I think with Oppenheimer, the young people they vibed with Ki- with Killian Murphy. They just like his character. And they go through this thing with him. There's one thing about that movie I didn't vibe with. It was Killian Murphy. I know, but you're the oddball on that. Most people did vibe with him, especially women. Girls love him. 
And um, I think that there's just an element where people like a character in a movie enough that they're willing to go on this journey with them and they care about what happens to them and they get the general gist of it, but they don't have to. And maybe that's the case with Dune. Like they like Timothy Chalamet in it so much that. Oh, well, gosh. I know I, I I didn't feel that way about Dune, but I think for me. I, I've, I've loved Timothy Chalamet in the right. I loved him in Call Me By Your Name. I, um, you know, when he comes up with another, when he does Dylan, he's going to do Dylan next. I'll probably love that. But that was uh, that was a difficult watch, man. Yeah, they always pick these yeah. guys like Killian Murphy and and what's his name. They always pick these non-Jewish looking guys to play these parts. It's so strange. Okay. Like, Dylan was such a Jew. Like <laughs> he really looked like a Jew. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and so far, no one has have played him that way. Um, especially not Timothy Chalamet. If if Bob Dylan looked like Timothy Chalamet, he wouldn't be Bob Dylan. Okay. Anyway, interesting. I just want to mention something um, that this is in the Hollywood Reporter. I just looked at it. It, Today is is the 7th, correct? February 7th? Yes. Okay. It was a story filed by Jordan Hoffman uh, at uh, 2.34 p.m. I presume that's um, East Coast time. and or maybe who knows? I don't know. Jordan, I don't even know where, where he's. But he basically says that there's a, a review of Woody Allen's uh, coup de chance uh, on Letterbox, and a friend has asked, Do "You know anything? What's uh, how are people seeing it?" And I don't know how it, the guy, uh, the Letterbox guy, happened to see it, but I do know it has discreetly screened recently for uh, at least a couple of folks, myself being one. I won't say the particulars. And it is going to, uh, I I know I was told that it's definitely going to be announced as as an acquired property. Now, whether that's just streaming or whether uh, someone would want to be nervy enough to open it uh, theatrically in a couple of a couple of locations, a few locations before, you know, the big screen, because it helps to have a, an awareness up if you, you're actually in theaters. Um, so anyway, that's definitely happened. There's no question about it. And Jordan Hoffman, being the inquisitive journalist that he's famous for being, doesn't even mention that this has happened, because I said it in so many words yesterday, or was it the day before, that it's, you know, it's happening. It's it's coming out. It's going to be, um, you know, available for general streaming, which represents a change in the weather, a change in the sea currents. Uh, and it means something. Uh, I think that that means that, that things aren't quite as crazy as they were, say, three years ago, two years ago, even last year. Um, as you know, his only two, two films that have been posed me to one was called A Rainy Day in New York, and the other was called um, Rifkin's Festival, which is shot in San Sebastian. And um, anyway, it's just interesting that uh, Jordan uh, Hoffman has written uh, that there's no distribution deal in place. And nothing's happening, and nobody seems to know, but there's kind of talk about people seeing it. In other words, he doesn't know anything. It's just mm. astonishing. That, that what does the, he work the, for? The New York Times? Jordan Hoffman posted the story in The Hollywood Reporter. Oh, okay. I was going to say, wow, he, he that's an upgrade if he's at The Times. Yeah. Um, 
So anyway, it's and it's not a bad film. It, it really isn't. The uh, one of the films that I um, I can say that you know that falls under the heading of a kind of a marital infidelity thriller. You know, which is what it is. Uh, it's one of the few films that I can say absolutely that for most of the uh, of the of the duration, uh, you don't know where it's going, and that's really says something for a film when you really can't predict where it's going. I know I've already mentioned this on a podcast or two ago, but that really means something. So it's it's certainly um, you know involving in that sense. So there's no question. Yeah. Well, uh, well we've moved and, on from the we've moved on from the stage of it's, it's I, coming I, out and it means something. Now, do you or do you not feel? sense that perhaps there's uh things are easing up in terms of the insanity me too insanity that that is well uh, what i was about to say was we've moved away from um the actual cancel late the cancellation part of cancel culture um which was people freaking out and firing and shutting out woody allen and all that We've moved right. away from that. I think that people have eased up on that a little bit. But what's still in place... Why have they? Why have they? Well, it's partly just fatigue. It's hard to sustain that level of emotion for so long. It just okay. gets exhausting after a while. And it's so much time has passed that it starts to seem like... I think what happened initially, honestly... Uh, anyway, what they'll do with Woody Allen is they won't... They won't pretend to be shocked, shocked anymore about him and try to get him fired or whatever. They won't call him a rapist or anything like that. But they will attack his film viciously. And they'll pretend that the reason they're doing it is because of uh, actual quality of the film. That's that's what they're going to do. So I'm Mm -hmm. prepared for that. That's like the guy who, Shane Gillis, who's about to host Saturday Night Live, um, they're already starting to trash him in the press. Like they can't stop. They know they can't stop Lauren Michaels from putting him on the show. Now they don't have the same kind of cloud and power they had to, you know, to try to get him fired and shame them and embarrass them. They now know because they know the right. the bottom line. They know that the ratings tanked. They know what happened. Everybody does. Everybody knows what happened to the box office. They know what happened to book sales. They know what happened to ratings. And so, uh, you know, please, mm-hmm. please the zealots. No, thank you. I'll, ch- I'll chase the market. I'll make the profit. Right. So the Saturday Night Live wants their ratings back up. And um, and so they'll just tell them, like you always say, to pound sand. Um, if they want to have a fit, they're going to have to have a fit. But they're still going to try to take to hurt to take shots at uh, Shane Gillis, who's very funny, by the way. Yeah. And he'll be on this coming weekend, correct? We've yeah, this, like yeah. you said, I'll just watch that. I love. I, I think he's. I watched a lot of his uh, his mm-hmm. cl- his humor over the last few days because I didn't know much about him, and and um, and he definitely walks the line, but he does so in a way that's like you know when someone tickles you and you laugh, and you're laughing partly because you can't help it, but also because there's something slightly uncomfortable about it. That's what his humor is like. It's like he he walks that line, just like Dave Chappelle does. Uh, and Ricky Gervais, where you never quite know exactly where they're going to land, um, but they that's may- the, that's the, that's the, so much fun about those guys. Absolutely, you know, when they are right they- on the edge of it. You don't know if they're going to go too that's far. Right. Or, you don't know, and then know. they often do. Right, the, with all three of them, make like make fun of untouchable targets. Like all mm-hmm. three of them do, and uh, and and it's the kind of thing you say they're not supposed to be able to do that. They're not. 
But the way they do it and they get away with it is they make it funny. And if it wasn't funny, you know, there would be no value. But what they do is they make us laugh about things we feel really uncomfortable about. And that keeps us sane. That makes us healthy in the mind to be able to laugh like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I always Mm -hmm. think of that scene in Witches of Eastwick where they're running from Jack Nicholson and, and they fall over the ledge. And Michelle Pfeiffer says, Jane, laugh. And Jane starts to laugh and then they start to laugh and then they float and then they can land on the ground easily. Okay. That's. I don't understand. You mean if they're laughing, that means their magic powers are activated or something? I'm not. No, when they laugh, they can deflect the thing that's about to kill them, the thing that's hurting them, the thing that's scaring them. By laughing in the face of fear and danger, you save yourself, you know? And that's what I felt watching. I was laughing that Amish thing I sent you. I was laughing so hard at that. My eyes were watering because mm-hmm. he, him and, and the other guy he's talking to, they're talking about the Amish and they're just both really funny guys and they're saying really funny things. And some of it is, you know, the more that they say that you're not allowed to say, the funnier it is. And I mm-hmm. remember being a teenager with my friend who had a kind of sense of humor like that. And we both took uh, acid one night. And we were laughing so hard because we were pretending to be the Nazis and we were running around in shopping carts in the, in the supermarket in the middle of the night singing, Hey, Hey, we're the Nazis. We're the Nazis. People say we Nazi around. <laughs> <laughs> we just thought it was uh-huh. so funny because it was so forbidden to say, you know, uh-huh. and yeah. to think. And, um, that, that is the value of comedians. And I think that's part of the reason why we've gone so insane is that we've taken that away. That one thing that we need is a release valve, a way to laugh, you know. May I ask how old you were when you first dropped acid? I only dropped it one time, and that was that, was that one time. So oh, I was probably okay. about 19. I only did okay. it once, yeah. What was your uh, reaction? What did you feel? What came to you? You know, it always does something when you, when you, when you drop lysergic acid deethylamide. What, did, what happened? What did you feel? It's just weird. I I didn't feel. Or what did you not want to go back to? What was it like? I'm not a person who likes drugs. It's just the nature of me. I'm not. I've always done. I did mushrooms once. I did acid once. I did cocaine once. And that was it. And I've never gone. Pot I did a few times. But even that eventually uh, I found to be disturbing. My mind is so active as it is. Like. I have a really active mind constantly that's always going, always working. And so I find that drugs make it harder for me to cope because of that, you know, and it's easier for me to not take drugs because it's all so surreal to me anyway. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I'm on drugs all the time anyway. So Mm -hmm. drugs don't enhance. They just make me feel more nervous and out of control. Ecstasy. Well, as I you do. know, um, drug, as you say, drugs is not a is a you know. There's the enhancements. There's the psychedelic enhancements. The things that make things more, more alive, more intense. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's inspiring. Uh, you know, meditations within that sort of thing. And then there's the chill drugs like quaaludes and heroin and morphine and and uh, and, and oxycontin and you know those those drugs. Which are uh, about anesthetizing you from the anxiety, and you know. Yeah. So there's that's two different things. It doesn't matter. I I don't care. Any doesn't kind of, matter. It doesn't not matter. to me. I'm not a connoisseur <laughs> like you are. Like I'm not one of those people that you know. You're totally Mister Tune In. You know, vibe out. 
You're into it. You like the drugs. I, I never have. I've never I, been. Let me tell you, I haven't dropped any uh, psychedelics in decades because of uh, I went through a terrible thing called, uh, you know, an anxiety attack times 100, yeah. oh. which is known in if you read Hunter S. Thompson, it's called the fear. It's, it's And you have the feeling, not the feeling, a conviction that you're right next to a kind of manhole. And if you step into that manhole or let yourself fall into it, you'll never come out into the world of sanity ever again. Wow. And, and I, I was there. And it was like, uh, you know, literally trembling from my, um, uh, you know, basically a feeling in my back went all through my chest. And all I just knew is that I didn't want to be close to this hole, this, uh, you know, this this crevasse, whatever you want to call it, something that it was... I didn't want to be close to because it was something that was going to open up a very, very scary, very unsettling uh, place in my head, in my soul. And anyway, so uh, that's that's why I haven't dropped uh, in since I was a kid, really, since I was in my twenties. But I certainly remember it vividly, and and there is a difference, you know. I mean, I've I used to do uh, opiates and all that stuff, and there is that whole thing of like, you know, you know, I'm I feel protected and. Uh, I feel like I, I like I'm in a warm, cuddly, nice place, and you know, that's what opiates yeah. do, or, or you know, hillbilly heroin, uh, oxycontin. Right. You know. So. I just, I guess, I was always, saying. I've always felt like, don't go down that road, like for various reasons, because we had like a guy in our town, we called him Harv, and the story yeah. was that he took too much acid and he just lost his mind. And so in the back of my mind, when I'm looking at people, I'm always thinking, you know, like, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? I, when I took cocaine, I thought, this drug is insane. This drug is so great that I could see how people could really get hooked on it quickly. Not because you're addicted necessarily, but because of how good it makes you feel. And like Stevie Nicks and the Fleetwood Mac, they were all into that cocaine. And, um, and so in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, just don't even go there. Do it once, have a good time, never do it again. And that's what I did. I never did it again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I did. It's ridiculous. I'm really sorry that I, that ever that I entered my system for a while. That was ridiculous. What do you mean? Because you couldn't stop? You, you, people were idiots. You know, there was no such thing as intelligent conversation, which is about no. the kind of the hyper generating those feelings of, oh, I'm wonderful. You're cool. Everything. Oh, God, cool, I you know? know. It's so it's horrible. Crazy. I was so humiliated by that night I took cocaine. I've never been so embarrassed of myself as that night. Promising yeah. people things. I can make you, I said to this point, I can make you a star. I can make you a star. <laughs> I know I can. I can yeah. make you famous. Like, oh, God, I cringe. So I would never want to go yeah. back and do that. God, can you imagine? Oh. So, yeah, yeah not, a not an addictive personality am I. Coffee's about the most that I do that I probably shouldn't do as much of that I do. Um, yeah, so. I, love, I love coffee. Uh, and I like, you know, I'll tell you, I, I've tried to stop. I haven't successfully stopped, but I like I love my energy drinks when I'm, yeah. you know, kind of looking to get rev revved up and write. It always makes me puts me in a good mood to write with. Mm. So happy about that. And uh, you know, in other words, Red Bull, you know, any, anything in that realm. But uh, but I'm I try to not do that too much. Obviously, not good for my heart. Right, right, right. But uh, yes, exactly. So anyway. that was the thing, and. Um, and so, you know, uh, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. We, we, 
the listeners should know that Jeff and I did a long podcast, which devolved into a screaming match. And so we just decided, I just decided that it wasn't enough to, to post. So we're doing it over again. Yeah. But yeah. that means that we have to redo the Emma Stone, Lily Gladstone conversation we had. And I didn't get okay. a chance to talk to you about the, the curse. And I really want to take the time to do that because I really thought it was just a great show. All right. Well, please do. Even though the curse has, first of all, there's uh, the, the, the thrust of all of our uh, Oscar discussions yesterday were just basically one thing, which yeah, was exactly. there's nothing to talk about except for one mm. uh, particular race, which is obviously best, best actress, basically Lily Gladstone versus Emma Stone. That's it. That's the only thing. And it's not going to be resolved. You can talk your nose off uh, about what might happen. Uh, but you know, it's not going to, it's, it's just SAG when SAG happens, then it will be clear, yeah. pretty clear. I think what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe but that's it. I would be nervous about the next couple of weeks because this is the moment right now is when that consensus is decided. It's a long time between now and the producers guild and the screen. Act. The D- director's guild is this weekend. It's Saturday. And uh, and so what's that going to have to do with best actress? Nothing. I'm just saying in terms of the race, the DGA is coming this, but the PGA and the SAG are coming later. And so okay. in between that is going to be a lot of stuff that happens. It's gonna you're telling me that many people in SAG after, let's say, have just not even thought about it. You know, no, no particular thoughts. Oh, really? You want me to pay attention? Well, maybe I will now. You're telling me they haven't paid attention to the Lily well, thing, which has been why do you think that? Why do you think there is such a thing called Oscar strategists? Why do you think they spend all that money on for your consideration. Well, they decide where the emphasis should be. In terms exactly. Of the There's a thing called, it's just like a political election. It's lobbying, it's parties, mm-hmm. it's consensus building. It's attempting to shift the perception. Mm-hmm. Like right now, the Lily Gladstone people are working hard. The Netflix and net betting people are working hard. The Fox searchlight, Emma stone. Mm-hmm. I mean, searchlight, whatever it is. Emma Stone are working hard and um and they're all they're all vying for this win since it's an open race. But I can tell you mm-hmm. that there are other categories that they're they're doing the exact same thing with. Um because the, no publicist that gets paid a lot of money just wants to lay down their sword. Even if they know that it's a long shot, they're still going to try to go for it, you know. I would have them feel exactly the same way if I was hired to do the Annette Benning thing, I would go for broke and I would not rest and I would sleep only five hours a night. Exactly. I mean, I, you know. I mean and, and people don't remember, but, I, you know, if you're old enough and you've been through these races, you remember that Sissy Spacek was supposed to win that Best Actress Oscar, but... For what? Uh, for... For Coal Miner's Daughter? In the bedroom, and... Uh, oh, in the bedroom. Okay. Marianne Cotillard had a really hungry publicist working with her. And she was, you know, she, she was on the rope lines and she was at every party, just like Bong Joon-ho, the year Why don't you say who the publicist was? I don't know who it was. I don't remember. Okay. But okay. they were working it really hard and, and she worked it and worked it and worked it and worked it. And she pulled out that win, that surprise win over Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek didn't campaign at all. Um, and if you don't campaign, there's a pretty good chance, unless you're Monique, you know, that you're that it can be taken from you if someone else is working harder. I remember when Jeff Bridges was up for the actor, best actor Oscar. I always joke about this. Like, you never want to go full Jeff Bridges because I've never seen an actor work harder for the Oscar than that guy did for Crazy Heart in 2009. 
He was really, really not a great movie. No, but he wanted the Oscar and he worked harder than any actor I've ever seen to win that. He was everywhere, you know, and even Kate Winslet, when it was her year, she worked hard. She put herself on magazine covers. She did talk shows. She was everywhere. And that's what you have to do if you want to win. If you want to win, you have to do that. If you if you don't want to win and you just want to follow the consensus, then that's the consensus is exactly what will happen. What everybody thinks will happen will happen. Can like, you remind everybody what you're speaking of when you talk about Kate Winslet and quote unquote her year? What was that? Kate Winslet had been nominated. The reader, right? Kate Winslet had been nominated for the Oscar a bunch of times and had never won. I I can't remember how many, but there were a lot of nominations. I could look it up right now. Um, okay. And but I don't know that it's that important to know how many. But there were a lot. And, I'm just curious. You just all said right, her I'll look year. it up. I'll look it up. I mean, yeah, because if you unless you follow every people who follow the Oscars know all these stories. Um, but I understand that the readers, the listeners might not know. Listen, you and I can't remember what it is that Kate wins. I thought it was for the reader. Yes, it's for the right. reader is what she won her Oscar for. Okay. But leading up to that point, and I remember that year very well because David Carr was still alive and he was um, he was blogging about the Oscars then. And he mm-hmm. was actually really good friends with Kate Winslet. And if you want to read some great David Carr, uh, read his Oscar story about Kate Winslet. It's just a beautiful... Um, a beautiful story that he wrote, um, and he, you know, about her. So she'd been nominated for Sense and Sensibility. She wasn't, they weren't friends. I mean, let's be candid about. Well, this. you can read they the article. Were, you can read the column for yourself. Sense. You're and saying sense, that they're actually friends. He thought That's that a pretty they were, he thought they were. Term, I think. I wish you wouldn't interrupt me. If you ask me a question, wait for my answer. Here's my answer. He thought okay. that they were friends. Do I know if they were friends or not? No, I don't. So she was nominated for Sense and Sensibility, Titanic, Iris, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Little Children. And then in 2009, she won for The Reader. So everybody, for some reason, everybody wanted her to win by that point. And remember, she was nominated twice for Revolutionary Road and for The Reader that year. At the Golden Globes, remember, she won two Golden Globes on the same night. And so everybody wanted her to win, and she ended up getting, I think, into supporting at the SAG and then lead at the Oscars, and she ended up winning it at the Oscars. It was a really weird year. But I tell you what, she did the she did the work that year. She did not just sit around and wait for people to give her the Oscar. She was right. everywhere. She was doing interviews. She was out, people knowing her. She was taking sexy spreads in magazines. You know, if Lily Gladstone really wanted to win this award, she'd sex it up in a magazine. You know, she really. You mean she? She? You mean she? She's Ozempic it up in, and for for magazine spreads. Well, that's what you mean, right? No, I think that. Let's be honest. I know that's your opinion. It's not my opinion. She's not obviously not a glamour figure. Come on, she's she's a big woman. She is what she is. It's fine. Nobody's trying to condemn her, including myself. I'm just saying she can't do glamour stuff. No, not. I, I didn't with, say glamour. Or, did not I? with her. I said, you just said. That I said, Kate Winslet did I, glamour, and and that if uh, Lily Gladstone wanted to, you know, really go to town, she would do that that kind of thing. You just said that. I know, right? but please, just if you're going to ask me a question, I'm going to say this to you again. Please just wait for my answer. You never okay. do. You just keep talking. I didn't okay. say glamour. I said sex. There are ways to do sex, well, even if you're sex, even sex, if you're a big person, you can do sexy spreads. She could, I, if I were them. I put her in. Um, I put her in a man's tuxedo, really, That's good. really low good cut, with her hair up and like dark 
dark eyeliner under her eyes and a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And I would do like Mae West smoky smoldering cross-dressing kind of thing. That's what I would do. I'd give her some sex appeal. She's, she's coming into this race too noble, too um, serene. She needs sex. She needs something that that's going to get people talking and shake things up. That's what she needs. Now, obviously Michelle Yeoh was able to do it without, without that, but she was in the best picture winner. So it was easier for her. Lily Gladstone's going to have a harder time because she's upstaged by Emma Stone's performance um, in poor things because it's much more showy. It's more razzle dazzle. They like that movie a little bit more. Um, and so, and the same problem with Annette Benning. Annette Benning's an older woman now. She can't really do play the sex card, right? You know, but you got to kind of play it if you want to win that thing. You got to do something because if you're in a competitive race, they could just, you know, if they just do nothing, then Emma Stone will win. Mm. Lily Gladstone will have to do something if she wants to win. She'll have to chase it hard. Um, she has to show people that she wants to win. That's what Michelle Yeoh did do. She showed people that she wanted to win. She was out there a lot. Oscar voters will often, unless they hate you, like Glenn Close, they will reward you if they see that you really want to win something. Didn't Glenn Close make a real effort when she was uh, her last big thing? And and she had made a fairly significant effort. I remember that when he won she she and she said to Glenn Close in so many words, "I'm sorry, Glenn." You know, uh, she 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 knew it was like Glenn's big year. You know, so why did P- I didn't know that people hated Glenn Close? He just said something striking. Well, I'm assuming that's why. Things? Why else would they deny her that award? My God, I mean, come on, like you're going to deny her that after she's won all those awards? There's got to be some reason. You know, they probably, there's probably some backstory. Like, remember Lauren Bacall when she didn't win? Yes. And everybody was like, how could she not win? Um, for what? For what particular performance? For that horrible Barbara Streisand movie. Remember, The Mirror Has Two Faces? She was, Lauren Bacall was finally going to win her Oscar for that, supporting. And, okay. um, and then she lost to Juliette Binoche that year. Remember? Yes, I do remember that. Yes. And, uh, Julia Pinoch, yes. She won that year. And um, uh, I got to tell you, I did a whole story for Entertainment Weekly, a big one, about the Streisand's uh, uh, problematic, if you will, or tyrannical or, or uh, um, you know, over, overbaked direction of that uh, film. The Mirror Has Two Faces. Uh, and uh, the whole Streisand camp was very, you know, kind of antagonistic. A little, you know, a little, little pissed off about the whole thing, and I don't even remember. <laughs> it's funny, but I don't even remember Lauren Bacall's performance at all. It's funny, but I should remember it. Uh, I know I saw the film at least once. I didn't like it very much. No, she was terrible. But everybody was like, "Why didn't she win?" And and this is uh, another another actor like this is Peter O'Toole. They said the same thing about, and they said that nobody liked Lauren Bacall. She was a bitch. Mm. She was mean to people. She like slapped people and stuff like that. And then the, so, so this the same with Peter O'Toole. Off screen? Yeah, I guess so. I think it was one of the stories okay. was that she was like really hard to work with. Nobody liked her. So that's why she did win. I have no idea if it's true. I don't hang around with these people, but that's just the rumor that I heard. And, okay. um, and I imagine it's the same with Glenn Close. I don't know. She seemed like a nice enough person when I met her. But you just never know. Maybe she's not nice. Uh, I don't know. 
But anyway, they were obviously not going to give her the award. So her her big film, the last big one that Glenn played, was called The Wife, wasn't that it? Yeah. The Wife. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was a really good film. I felt, and I'll that was it. a very very good good role she had, and uh, it really was uh, hit. It really hit the mark. Absolutely. And I thought, well, this is it. Finally, she's gonna she's gonna win the best actress Oscar, and it was stunning. Stunning when Olivia Coleman, who I love and I think has been wonderful just in so many things. Mm. I was just really shocked, especially, let's not forget, she's not really playing a leading role in that film. She's playing That's why I a didn't support prominent her. supporting role. Absolutely. That's why I didn't think she would win and I, I didn't want her to win because I thought, you know, come on, give it to Glenn Close, man. It's yeah. like she did that whole Albert Knobs humiliation and, you know, it was it was definitely her... <laughs> Why was it a humiliation to play a, a, a woman turned, pretending to be a man? Well, it just it was an embarrassing people. I don't know. People made fun of it after that. They just made fun of her movie Albert Knobs. Of course, it it changed, as we know, because you know things around that subject changed. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what happened that year that she won? I think um, Olivia Coleman. But Olivia, yeah. yeah, was I think there what was a, I think there was okay. A, I think there was a split between Glenn Close and Lady Gaga. Uh, Lady Gaga was in A Star is Born and Glenn Close was in The Wife. I will bet you that, that there, in some way that somebody was drawing votes away from, from Glenn Close enough to give uh, Olivia Coleman the win. Because it doesn't make sense it, it, you know, um, for such a shocking win. Usually there's some vote splitting going on there. And the only yeah. one I can think of in that scenario would be Lady Gaga, although I did not think she was very good in that. It could just be that they liked the favorite a lot and all those British voters pulled for... Uh, and they didn't really like the wife, and they didn't feel like they should have to give an award to somebody that didn't that they didn't feel deserved it, whereas they thought that Olivia Coleman deserved it. The other thing about Olivia Coleman is she's really well-connected as an actress in, in England... She's worked with everybody, and she's been doing it for decades, and so she yeah. she does have a lot of good relationships with people. You think that the BAFTA uh, congregation put her over the top? Oh Is yeah, absolutely. And if Emma Stone wins, that'll be why too. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So, Another thing, I just want to make a general comment, which is uh, not anything new, and I've certainly written this, which is basically all the questionable uh, support that has come out of uh, SAG-AFTRA uh, over the last, uh, how long has SAG-AFTRA been the, how long has SAG and AFTRA been together as a, as a thing where they all I think it was vote, around uh, 2012 that they joined Forces. Okay. Yeah. All the questionable thing over the last decade or so is due to the fact that the AFTRA folks are not sophisticated, deep, deeply, uh, you know, uh, you know, invested in the art and the transcendence of acting. They're 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 go alongs, and they're they have degraded the SAG AFTRA. Uh, you know, the SAG, the SAG used to mean something because it was real actors for the most part. Yeah. And when it became SAG after it became a, it kind of lowered the, the property values. Well, it didn't kind of, it did lower the property values. Well, cause they're just not actors anymore. They're just any old person. Like for instance, somebody like Tom O'Neill can be an after now. So you can, you, Oh yeah. Cause he's an after, he's an after voter. So it's sort of like, that's the problem is you, you ideally you want actors, serious actors voting on who are the serious but it's not that anymore. It's just turned into some kind of a yet another consensus. 
get another popularity contest. You know, the DGA voters, there's 19,000 DGA voters now, and most of them are assistant directors and television directors. And they're mm. not film directors. And it sure would be I didn't nice. realize it was that many people. 19,000 people are voting for the DGA Awards, yes. you're saying? 19,000. Okay. And for SAG, it's around 150,000. Okay. Um, the Producers Guild, I think, is around 9,000. Um, yeah, those are the big those are the big guilds. So, so far in this Oscar race, we haven't seen a large consensus vote for anything. We've only seen these little groups of like 300, 500 people. So we don't know coming into Saturday night if Christopher Nolan will win. We assume he will, but there's always the chance that he won't. Like we all thought that Richard Linklater was going to win for Boyhood and and Birdman won instead. We thought David Why are you why are you uh, one of the big voices in this community and you've been a, a big voice for for a long time? Why would you you're, you're more or less diminishing or, or doubting the the influence that people who are in the front of the pack, which is to say, you know, writers, uh, 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 predictors, uh, Kyle Buchanan, yourself, you know, that kind of thing. Those are the ones who have uh, been pushing this and that person. It's been reflected in the Golden Globes, which is a, you know, ostensibly a journalistic organization. So, you know, why I don't, I think that it really matters a, a lot to get your your uh, community, our community, uh, going on this set because once once they've those names have been put into into place as likelies or or you know uh, I think it means a lot and they all seem to follow it. They, they you say no, they it, it could be that they're going to ignore the the consensus on Nolan. Of course uh, they're not. Well, you don't it. know that. I I, know look, that. I've been doing this a long time, Jeff, and I've seen things. Okay. Did anybody think Moonlight was going to beat La La Land? Yes, I did, because I predicted it. But everybody called me crazy for it. Um, at the time when Chris Tapley and Pete Hammond and Ann Thompson were all predicting Gravity to win Best Picture, I predicted 12 Years a Slave. I'm always mm-hmm. looking at the race in a different way, and, and there is a chance, a tiny chance, that it doesn't go the way... Like I'm telling you, you don't know what the race is going to be until the consensus, the big guilds, the thousands and thousands of people start to vote. You can take a guess, but I've had enough things surprise me over the years where I always cautious, even when it looks like a front runner. I thought David Fincher was going to win for the social network, the DGA, and he didn't. Tom Hooper did. And Tom and the King's Speech won the Producers Guild and it won the Screen Actors Guild and then it won the Oscar. So, you know, you and, and Birdman, same thing. Uh, Boyhood was winning everything and coming into the uh, PGA, DGA, SAG, Birdman won everything. So you can't count. Actors, you know, movies are, I, I'm going to guess Oppenheimer, right? I'm going to guess that that's what they pick because it's time for Christopher Nolan. He's had so many nominations. He's such a, a strong director. He has such a great history. His time has come. And even if they have to hold their nose to vote for him, I think they will vote for him. But would there be a potentially another scenario that could play out? Yes. Barbie could win. Greta Gerwig could win because people are upset <laughs> by the fact that she didn't get a nomination, just like they were with Ben Affleck and Argo. So, you know, Steven Spielberg didn't win for Lincoln. Everybody thought Lincoln was going to... You know, you just never know how these things... Uh, everybody thought Catherine Bigelow was a surefire winner for Zero Dark Thirty. She didn't even get nominated, and then Ben Affleck took the whole Wait a minute. After, they went after Zero Dark Thirty, as you know. There was a whole takedown torpedo campaign against that film. 
from the left because of the alleged torture thing. So I don't think it was at well, all. You don't, I mean, the they, way they, that they, you read the Oscars is very different from the way I do. And I, I see it as something that I studied and that I want to be right about. In your mind, for you, for Jeff Wells, it's always about what movies and people that you want to win, you want to talk about what deserves to win, you want to get mad about people who you think might win, you want to influence the race more than you do predict the race. That's always been true about I think you. there's nothing more demeaning than to be a good, you know, oh, I'm a great predictor. Yeah, I don't have any feelings myself, but I'm great at predicting. I mean, that's, I really don't I think that's, that, that's a great thing. You know, it's, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. fine, obviously. Well, I have to do both. I have to do both. I have to try to squire the race in the direction that I believe it should go. And I also have to keep us, you know, a a sober minded view in case something happens and you're stuck with, we were all wrong. We were all wrong. Well, no, we weren't all wrong. Some of us were thinking about it. Like the night before they announced the Oscars, um, a lot of pundits like uh, Matt Neglia and Joyce Ang had predicted both Justine Triet and uh, Jonathan Glazer to get in for Best Director. The problem was they 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 and you know for in her for her part she omitted. Yes. For her part, she omitted Yorgos Lanthimos and uh, Alexander Payne, not Greta Gerwig. Um, so the problem with that was they couldn't figure out who was going to get dropped. They didn't, couldn't imagine it would be Greta Gerwig, but it was. So, you know, you know, if you want to be that kind of person and you want to be someone that calls what's going to be a big shock, you have to be open-minded about possibilities. And, and so the only person, so I could see two scenarios. If it isn't Christopher Nolan, which I fully expect it to be, if it isn't him, then I see two alternative scenarios playing out. One is, and I wrote about this today, if anybody wants to read it, it's on my site, mm-hmm. awardsdaily.com. Um, one is Greta Gerwig gets the sympathy vote because the That's women... Wrong. Well, there was some ringing. If there's noise... Well, it was, it, was, it was a text that came in. I can't stop them. No, I know. But it's, so what? Don't get all defensive. I'm just pausing if I hear a sound because... Okay. Okay. I have to edit it out. And if I'm talking over okay. it, I can't do that. Okay. Um, so one is the sympathy vote for Greta Gerwig. It starts, a, you know, it starts, she wins the DGA, and then it mm-hmm. starts in motion, Barbie winning the whole season. Barbie wins the PGA, Barbie wins the SAG, Barbie wins Best Picture, right? That's one scenario that could play out. Another one could be that everybody lo- falls in love with poor things, and Yorgos Lanthimos wins Best Director in a shock in a shock night and then poor mm-hmm. things, poor things can't win the SAGs. It's not nominated, but it can win the producer's guild. I don't think that's going to happen personally. I think it's too weird of a movie to do that. I but, agree with you. It's a, it's a, it's an Emma performance thing solely. That's what it is. Well, for, you at know least I mean. so far, but I didn't think Birdman was going to win either. So, you know, Birdman, okay. but you know, there's always that one movie that people don't connect with emotionally versus the movie that people do connect with emotionally and the Oscars a hundred percent of the time. Well, let's say 75 to 80% of the time, pick the wrong movie because they go with the King's speech over the social network and time remembers the social network and it doesn't remember the King's speech. It does not. 
Nobody so. has ever rewatched the King's Speech since that year. I actually watched it, believe it or not, three times. I can't know. I remember why I did, but I remember going to two screenings after the initial screening. I was, I was saying to myself, particularly the third screening, oh, God, why did I do this? You know. Yeah. So it was a uh, very bizarre uh thing when that became a big film but it, it was it was so strange you know uh, and but just to go back very briefly without making a big debate about this but i did not stand by and and say that this is absolutely has to happen because i think that the hurt that the um zero dark 30 should win because of my own viewpoints it was attacked in a concentrated guerrilla fashion uh, in the press, and it was basically this movie endorses torture, so we can't support it. That's not me. That was a fact. That happened. And I didn't that, say. And who that's said, why it went away. Who you said know? it had anything to do with you? You just said that I, you know, I have a way of looking at Oscar things because it's about me and what I feel, you know, should win, and when I have very strong views about. Well, things. I wasn't relating that to Zero Dark Thirty. I was just saying that, you know we all thought that zero dark 30 was going to do really well until it got attacked. And then it was dead. It was DOA. And, and we mm. knew that too, but you just, the thing about the Oscar race is when you have this lag time, which we have right now, we have lag time. We have a couple of weeks of lag time before they yeah. put it, put in their ballots. And that, mm. what I started this whole thing telling you is that this is the time when the, the narratives start to rise and the attack pieces start to hit. This is the time when people start creating controversies and whisper campaigns to try to knock out the competition. And this is the time uh-huh. when people do their Jeff Bridges thing, you know, and they get out there and they do talk shows and they do, you know, this and that. And they're constantly everywhere to try to. Now, Emma Stone, and we talked about this last time, is in a difficult spot because she's up again, just like with Kate Blanchett last year and Michelle Yeoh. She's Kate Blanchett basically like left town. She didn't even campaign for her award. <laughs> and when she won funny. at the Critics' Choice, she basically said, I don't even, even want to win this. <laughs> it's okay if I don't, really. Don't worry yeah, about it. Don't, don't give it to me. <laughs> and Emma Stone didn't quite do that, but she was kind of like Lily, you know, like even she was sort of disappointed that Lily Gladstone hadn't won. So I think that well, she was certainly surprised. I mean, everybody was that night, she was including surprised. member of the table where Kyle Buchanan was, and they're audibly gasping when she when she was so Emma surprised that she did report. not even have a prepared speech. Like she didn't, she had no. She yeah. was so shocked that she didn't know what mm-hmm. to say when she got up there, and so that made her moment less powerful, just like it did with Kate Blanchett. It was like. It, she got up there and she basically said, why do we even have awards? I don't even want this award. Just don't give it to me. Don't call me. Don't put the camera on me. Just, I am not here. I'm invisible. I'm going back to That's England. <laughs> and, um, and I think that Emma Stone doesn't, you know, she doesn't want to be the white actress winning her second Oscar in front of this particular community. They didn't care when it was Meryl Streep and Viola Davis, but they care now. And, um, she doesn't want to be that person that wins the Oscar over Lily Gladstone. That's just the way it is. She's already got an Oscar, but at the same time, she doesn't want to hurt her chances or hurt the movie. She's supportive of the movie. And if she deserves to win, she should win, you know? Yes. But as you're pointing out, it will seem, it will be unseemly if she is seen 
aggressively promoting exactly. herself. That's as the, the old, right? She has to play it really soft. And she's somebody to who not could. be a, an anti-racist, uh, anti-Native American. She which doesn't want to, it'll kill think. her career if she comes out as the person everybody right. hates. But right. she, she is the perfect person that's in a position to do the right kind of campaigning that you need to win these awards. She can do right. the fashion spreads, you know? Mm-hmm. She can do the mm-hmm. talk show. She's incredibly hilarious and charming and charismatic and she could she could really come in and win this thing it's just that i get the sense that there's a part of her that either doesn't want to or is being told not to or you know well obviously being told to just cool it and play it look loads just play it low down you know keep the energy down just you know you've already got two wars and you're going to win the bafta so you know anyway be be gracious be humble yeah Anyway, hey, so, by the way, you said right now is the time for whisper campaigns, right? Yeah. Whisper campaigns. I uh, would like you to just think this over a little bit and tell me one person who has any kind of a forum or a voice, be it a columnist, a critic, you know, anybody that, that is heard, who has written one whisper thing about Lily Gladstone who has said anything other than oh it's so wonderful this is her big moment no you know, no nobody Native ever American. would nobody well here's a whisper campaign about Lily Gladstone well you mean besides you you have you've done it you've I'm the only person that said hello she's not playing a lead role she's playing a supporting role yeah if she doesn't do that a wonderful job she does a good job she's that's fine. not really considered but, a whisper campaign that's more of a takedown campaign that Jeffrey Wells owns. That belongs to Jeff and Jeff alone. Nobody else does take down campaigns. It's the reality. Oh, it's not my fickle little neurotic personality trying to harm her. It's the reality of the movie. She's not giving a great performance because they haven't written in her In your great mind, she isn't. And she spends half the movie in bed dying of, of poisoning. It's not that great. It just isn't. It's not a lead role. It just isn't. Uh, you can say it's my Jeffrey Wells obsession. Well, anyway, but whisper truth. whisper campaigns have nothing to do with punditry. They have nothing to do with what you say or what I say. Whisper campaigns are designed for people in the industry. They're they're designed to stay be, be whisper campaigns so that we don't hear about them, so we don't write about them. For instance, here's a couple of examples. The okay. most famous one was the Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Saving yeah. Private Ryan's only about the first 45 minutes. Well, which is kind of true. It's very true. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't crazy. I mean, it did catch on because the best part of the movie is the first No, it's right. 45 minutes. 100%. Well, that's what whisper campaigns work when they're true. Yeah. But sometimes they're lies. Sometimes they're not true. Like uh, this, you know, during the social network, there was a nasty campaign and Harvey Weinstein was on it, you know. Harvey Weinstein was on the King's speech and he was the, he was the, he was the leader of these whisper campaigns. He is notorious. That's what Shakespeare in love was a Harvey Weinstein movie. And so that campaign was started by him. And the one Mm -hmm. against David Fincher was, you know, he's so desperate. He wants an Oscar that Sony, Sony has spent more money on social network, blah, blah, blah. And none of it was true. It was all a whisper campaign to tip it, to make people not want to give the award to, um, to uh, to the social network and David Fincher. 
It's just did a I way ask, of, and, they, and then there's one more. He was saying more. that they spent more money, Sony did, that they were really pulling out all the stops and yeah. spending much more money than typically. Yes, uh, they said that. Okay. And they okay. said he was desperate to win an Oscar, which I happen to know firsthand is not true. Um, and so that was the Whisper campaign that year. What they do is they they drive a wedge between the the, the front run. Like right now, there's probably mm-hmm. some kind of crazy Whisper campaign going on about Oppenheimer. <laughs> Um, it just depends. What could they possibly say? Do you think? I have no idea. I don't. Let's use our imaginations. Start a whisper campaign facetiously. Just tell me what you could whisper that could hurt that film. Just anything. Just, I mean, I can tell you my own personal. Well, I don't, I already know what your reaction is. You don't have to say it again. What I'm saying What's is my own reaction. Well, I mean, you 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 don't do whisper campaigns, Jeff. You, you scream from the rooftops how you feel about stuff. So that's the opposite of a whisper campaign. A whisper campaign is something that people pass on from one person to the next, a rumor, something that they've okay. heard to just spread an idea through a consensus. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when they finally come out, they're so shocking that you can't believe that anybody ever said them, you know? Okay. Right. So, uh, but, but, you know, you have to, it has to be a situation where there's another movie that's going to benefit and right now, I'm not sure if there there isn't this isn't a two movie race. It's not a Birdman boyhood kind of race. It's not a social mm-hmm. network king speech type of situation. It's Oppenheimer and then a bunch of other movies. And I guess you could pick Barbie if you wanted to as the alternative to Oppenheimer, the Barbenheimer phenomenon. If anybody is on uh, Barbie, but Barbie's a tough sell. Barbie's not the king's speech, right? Barbie's a movie with a lot of like man hating in it. And so it makes it a t- Well, yes. It's also right. a, it's also about a doll. You know? So it's it's a tougher sell. Like that's why Oppenheimer has a, I think a much um stronger uh chance of winning this year than usual. I don't feel like another movie is breathing down its its neck, but if if another mm-hmm. movie does take over and sometimes, you know, the Whisper campaigns were popular before everybody lost their mind in Hollywood, before the Great Awakening, before Trump won. Because after that happened, they weren't really Whisper campaigns anymore. They were overt smears. Like, La La Land is racist. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri is racist. And I remember a publicist who shall remain nameless mm-hmm. the year that it was Spotlight, and this is before Trump won, 15. Yeah. But it was still when the sort of the, the racism hysteria was spreading through Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I remember when it was the Big Short shocked everybody by winning the Producers Guild. Big Short was my favorite movie of that year. And I was so excited about it potentially winning. And then there was this whisper campaign that these were all a bunch of like bad white guys. Why would you want to vote for a movie about all these bad white guys? And I wrote an article about In it. In the Wall Street guys, the speculators, right? Just be specific. That's what you're talking about, right? The what? <clears throat> when you say the word, the term "bad white guys," you're referring oh, oh. to the white guys in the Big Short. Just say that. That's I, I, I mean, did say that. Financial guy. Okay. The whole cast. Okay. And and I was really upset by that because I loved the movie so much, and um, yeah. and it wasn't all white. There were people of color in it. It's just that there weren't a lot of them, but but and so I wrote an article about it, and I said, "Look, Spotlight's a movie mm-hmm. with all white guys too," mm-hmm. and boy, did I get into trouble for that. 
I had, what did they say? I had the producer writing me. I had the publicist writing me. They were mad. Complaining and saying what specifically to you? What saying, were you, how could you how attack you? our movie? And I said, I wasn't attacking your movie. I was pointing out the fact that the big short, everybody's saying it's, you know, it's a movie about, you know, white guys, bad white guys. aren't, And, and, and you know, your, mm-hmm. your cast is all, all white guys, too. And so the mm-hmm. idea became because they were writing about, they were acting um, about child molesting priests that they were good mm-hmm. guys. And so you should vote for them because they're good guys instead of right. bad guys, like in the big short, but the big short was by far, I know you love spotlight, but I thought big short was what way better than, than spotlight. You know, it's interesting um, that you're saying this because I have to say that as the years have moved on, I have enjoyed the big short more and more because the more familiar I am with, I still find the whole idea of quote unquote betting against a stock, uh, betting against a, you know, a company, uh, bizarre in the extreme. I can't still can't understand how that is supposed to make you money. But if you bet against the success of something, you win and, and, and make, make money. I still don't get that, but I have really enjoyed more and more, uh, the big short. I really have had a great time with it and I've rewatched it more than I have spotlight in the last, uh, eight, nine years. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, and, uh, the the guys, these are the guys who who would ultimately make su- succession. You know, mm-hmm. um, I loved The Big Short. I thought it was so good. It just it it mm-hmm. took me a couple of viewings to fully understand it. It was very complex, but um, me too. But I I thought it was great, and I was glad when it won the producers' guild. I thought Spotlight was good too. I never thought it wasn't a good movie. I just didn't mm-hmm. like that they attacked The Big Short the way that they did. It made me angry. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that that was fair to do that to them. I'd like to switch over very briefly to the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which yeah. will begin is technically beginning this evening, but tomorrow is when it really begins. When Bradley Cooper, uh, Outstanding Performer of the Year award is given, uh-huh. that's at the Arlington. And I'd just like to have you. I'd like to hire you to be a co, a sort of a new consultant, and uh, and kind of you know just basically say what is your feelings about these various folks being given awards and you know how do you how you know because there are some that are already sold out one of them is bradley cooper he's completely sold out in a huge arlington theater so obviously a lot of people liked his film and they think he's pretty cool and they like stars barn and they, you know they're big maestro fans uh another sold out is the following uh, for the following night or Friday, this coming Friday, Robert Downey Jr., modern, the ma- <laughs> sorry, Molten, tongue twister, Molten Modern Master Award. And uh, and then on Saturday, we have the Virtuosos, and, and they are Danielle Brooks of uh, Color Purple, Coleman Domingo, who is uh, the Rustin and Color Purple guy, America Ferrara, naturally, we all know her from Barbie, Lily Gladstone, naturally, Greta Lee, past life, Charles Melton, who was a very big deal until he suddenly, like, disappeared. Uh, oh, but he was, he was like the, the hot guy. <laughs> oh. And he was. He was like, know, you know, I the, know. the, the Spirit Awards. And I know, but it's a, a sad thing. What? It makes me sad, that whole story. It makes me sad. Well, nobody could figure out why he was getting Best Supporting Actor Awards. He didn't do anything that was stupendous or even really dynamic. He just was, okay, good performance. I and 
And nobody could figure it out. And then I couldn't figure it out. And I, I openly speculated. What is the deal with Charles Melson winning? No, I, you know, I get it. it. I, I wasn't, know. as you know, I was not a fan of that movie. And I never thought it was going to be. I was just shocked because film Twitter was so supportive of this movie and everything. And I just thought. Why were them. they supportive? That's what I'm asking. I you. don't understand it either. It's just the way that, that film Twitter is. They loved it. All right, keep going because there is one thing I wanted. To, are are you and flying there's out? There's divine. Or? Then the last two are divine. Joy Randolph, who of course is going to win the best supporting actress uh, Oscar. We all know that. And the last is the excellent Andrew Scott from All of Us Strangers, who is a good actor who I like, and I hope to see him in something that a movie that I would actually enjoy the next time. So good for him. So he uh, got a big bump out of it, career-wise. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. I just saw a notice from them that was Justine Trier and somebody else. Marty. Marty and Justine yeah, Trier so, are, are getting the, um, what's the, uh, Outstanding Directors Plural of the Year Award. Yeah, yeah, so I don't get a, that. I don't, why is it both of them? Why isn't it because, just... Because they felt uh, there was enough of a lobby on the part of publicists talking to Roger or whatever. They're saying, come on, let's let's not have it be just a man this year. This is Let's, let's even it up and have uh, Justine and Marty as a co, as co-recipients. Well, Marty... That's all I can see. They had Marty Policies. one year, I remember, because I went to it. They had Marty for... Or was it Leonardo DiCaprio? It was one of the two for, for at Santa Barbara. Uh, was it The Irishman? that they honored him for that or was it a different movie? I don't remember, but Martin Scorsese was there. Remember? Um, I would have thought they would have maybe done it for Wolf of Wall Street back in 2012. No, it was, it, was, it was after that. It was the last time I went to a Santa Barbara event and it was, it, okay. I think it must've been, it must've been okay. the Irishman. I don't know. But anyway, remember when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio came out, I have a picture of like David Poland and Chris Tapley at this thing. Um, it was well attended by all of us. It was a different time, right? Yeah. But I saw that co-director thing, and I thought, what? Come on. You're not going to make Scorsese, like, share the spotlight with Justine Trier. Give it to one yeah, or the but, other. But, but, but Marty, in his heart of hearts, knows what he's done with Killers of the Flower Moon, which is that he decided to make a whole different movie than what the, the real story was and the real and the book, and he he completely just did, you know undercut the dramatic potential by having a really interesting hero figure. He really you know he's he should be worshiping, kissing the the feet of people who have been so laudatory of of his film, and it's not really a great Marty Scorsese. It's an okay Marty Scorsese film. You know, it's kind of known. And why they have Justine Trier in there is beyond me, because she's not, her film is not that good. And it's just all politics. I just don't know what's going on. But Well, that, that I, just know. I thought was annoying. That's why they wanted me to post. I wasn't going to post it. I'm not going to post a thing with two directors like that. If you want to have one, then maybe, mm-hmm. you know, if it's just one or the other, then it's worth. But two, there's something about that that just looked weird to me. If you're going to have two, why not have all five, you know? Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, that, that too would be good. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the end of our preview episode. Subscribe for more.